Exodus chapter 6. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. This is our, our uh, core text uh, for the series that we're in. Say, therefore, the people of Israel, uh, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Flip over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now let's go to Romans, and I'm going to read uh, from the New Living Translation as well as the Message Bible. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Uh, Oh, what a miserable, miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Free and yet acting like a slave. Uh, Let's read this in the Message Bible. I've tried everything and nothing helps. Maybe you can relate to this. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and He does. He can do something for me and He does do something for me. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Think about it. Maybe you can relate. Where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. We've been walking through the four cups of the Passover, the four cups of communion. Each one uh, is is a promise that God made. Uh, Each cup is rooted in a promise, these four I will statements of God. The first one was, I will bring you out. This is uh, the cup of sanctification. This cup is all about salvation. This is God saving us. And and when when He saved the children of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt under the yoke of Pharaoh. And He brought them out, or He saved them. The second cup, which is the cup we'll talk about today, is I will deliver you. This is about deliverance, or this is about freedom. The third cup, and we talked about this last week, we're a little bit out of order. Is uh, He said, I will redeem you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Th- this is the specific cup that we read about in Matthew 26 uh, and in Luke 22 and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Jesus lifted the cup at, after supper and said, this is the blood of my new covenant which is shed for the remission of sins. Uh, and, and, and this was the cup. He said, I will redeem you. It's about restoring us. Powerful, powerful cup. The fourth cup, he said, uh, I will Uh, take you to be my people. And and this is the cup of praise. It's about fulfillment. It's about fulfillment. And so these are four cups. Today I want to talk to you specifically about the second cup. It's the cup of deliverance, and it's all about freedom. He said, I will deliver you. Now, what what I love 
about God is he understands something about us. Let's put it into context. The Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years, 430 to be exact. They've been in Egypt, they've been under slavery, and now God sends Moses and he says, I'm going to deliver, I'm, I'm going to bring you out and I'm going to deliver you and I'm, I'm going to take you back to the promised land, uh, I, the land of Canaan, the land that he, God gave to Abraham and his descendants. He said, I'm going to bring you back to where you're supposed to be. You're in slavery. You're not supposed to be in slavery. I'm bringing you out. And so God does that. And the, and the people get past this idea that they've had no hope. That there's, they, they just don't know how it could happen. They've been in slavery for 400 years but Moses says, God's going to get us out. Ten plagues later, the frogs and the locusts and the blood and the water, eventually in the death of the firstborn sons, uh, God delivers the people. He gets them out of Egypt. But now they have this problem. They're no longer slaves. They're free. But they have no idea what it means to be free. Put yourself in their shoes. Let's say whatever age you are in the room. For me, I'm 33. So I'm 33. I've been in slavery for all, every day of my life has been spent in slavery. I've been making bricks for Pharaoh, building pyramids and building temples and building houses for Pharaoh. That's all I've ever known for 33 years. But not only that, I don't even know anyone. I don't even know a Hebrew that has been free. My parents don't know a Hebrew that has been free. My grandparents don't know a Hebrew that was ever free. My great-grandparents don't know any Hebrews that know, knew anything except slavery. You're talking about 400 years. The length of time approximately from Jamestown when America was founded, in, in the first colony in Jamestown, all the way until today. You don't even... How many of you know someone that was there at Jamestown? I know you know some old people, but you don't know anybody that was there and the American Revolution, right? You don't even know anyone that knows anyone that knows anyone that was there. So you ha this whole culture has no idea what it means to live in the freedom that God has not just brought them into. He brought them out. We're thankful for the salvation. But they're, they're, they still function as slaves. They still look like slaves. They still act like slaves. They still feel like slaves. And so God has to go through this process of he's, he's set them free, He's saved them, but now He has to deliver them from the old mindsets, from, from, the, from the mindset of slavery and teach them how to be free. First thing that God does is when He gets them out into the desert, the first thing He does is gives Moses 633 laws. You know probably the top ten, uh, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, but there are 633. They cover everything on how to live in a society. Why? Because the people had no idea how to live free. They couldn't function. And God had to help them function in His, in his new kingdom. All the way down to one of the Ten Commandments is that uh, you will remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. God's teaching them to take a day off. Why do you have to teach somebody to take a day off? 
Because every day of your life, you've worked seven days a week, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. You have no concept of taking a day off. Why you should, how to do it. You ever, you, you ever know anybody that works so long and hard and you tell them, okay, you've got a day off and they don't know what to do? They, they end up going and doing something anyway because they don't know how to take a day off? Imagine that multiplied a hundred times more because they have no idea. So God literally had to set up, I want you to take a day off. Give it to me and don't do any work. You know, do you know that uh, if you were living according to all the laws of Moses, you couldn't even turn on a light switch on the Sabbath day because that would be considered work. They got mad at Jesus because he was healing people on the Sabbath because that was considered work. The, the point is this. God had to get like very, very specific with them because they had no idea. He couldn't just say, man, take a day off, relax, enjoy your family. No, no, he had to say, don't do any work. What is work? Work is everything. Don't even turn the lights on because they couldn't do it. Now, we fast forward to where we are today and what God is doing for us. So first of all, yes, he's, he is he has saved us and we're so grateful uh, for that. We're so grateful that he brought us out. But then, you know, we, we get saved. We come into church and we answer the Lord's, uh, the, the sinner's prayer. And we, we said, Father, forgive me of my sins and, and be my Lord and be my Savior. And, and we're saved. But I want you to consider something. Think back to the day when you were first saved. Think back to the day when you uh, answered the altar call or you raised your hand and said the, Lord's, uh, the sinner's prayer and, and you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe you came in with problems. Maybe you came in and your wife was ready to divorce you. And you came in and you gave your life to Jesus and she was mad at you. But you came in and you gave your life to Jesus and you left and you said, Man, I've given my life to Jesus. He saved you. And she says, Yeah, but you're still an idiot. Because you came in saved with marriage problems, or you came in unsaved with marriage problems, you leave saved, but still have marriage problems. Man, I'm, I'm broke, I'm, I'm, I'm about to lose my house, I've got all these finances, I lost my job, I don't have any money. I, I, so you come in and, and, and God saves you, thank God he saved you, but when you leave, it's not like suddenly your money problems went away. So you, you came in unsaved and broke, you leave saved and broke. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You had an addiction, all right? I, I, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm addicted to drugs. I'm addicted to uh, some type of narcotics. I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to whatever it is. And you come in, you give your life to Jesus. Thank you. He saved me. And you walk out, and that addiction is waiting on you when you get outside the door. God understands this about us, and he made a plan. He said, listen, I'm going to save you, but then I'm going to deliver you out of the mindset of slavery. I'm going to deliver you from your sin. So I saved you from, from the punishment, the death, the, 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 the eternity in hell. I saved you. I've given you a new life and an eternal life, but I don't want to just leave you there. See, uh, I want to deliver you so you are not caught up by the, by the slavery or the bondage to sin, by the, but that you are not controlled by the influences of sin. God knows this about us. So three things about deliverance that I, that I want you to know really quickly. Uh, first of all, deliverance is for anyone that is struggling with their sinful nature. 
I don't care if you've been saved for five minutes, five years, or five decades. If you struggle with your sinful nature at all, drinking the cup of deliverance is for you. It's for you. It's for anyone that's struggling. Because it's for those people whose past keeps limiting our future. Salvation takes care of our eternity. But deliverance determines our quality of life while we're here on earth. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Yes, that's eternal life, but it's also life here. The second thing is that deliverance is about dealing with my slave mindset. It's about dealing with my slave mindset. It's learning how to live how God intends us to live. Salvation is instant, but deliverance is a process. We have to continually drink the cup of deliverance. It's difficult sometimes to function without the familiarity of our prior captivity. We're just more comfortable with our problems. We're just more comfortable with our sin. We are tempted to go back to those enslaved habits. When the, when the children of Israel, just as soon as they got out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea and Pharaoh is bearing down on them and they're blocked on one side by the Red Sea and on two sides by mountains and then on the, coming up behind them is Pharaoh in his army of chariots. And they say to Moses, you know, you should have just left us. Why would you bring us out of Egypt? We would have been better off just staying in slavery to Pharaoh. Now we're all going to die. And they just determined that we, we would have been living, even though living as slaves is better than dying out here free. But God said to Moses, why, why are you complaining to me? Lift your hands. And God parted the Red Sea, one of the greatest miracles we see in the entirety of the Bible. You know, you've got to know something. Just as soon as you receive salvation, you better get ready to face your sin and your old mindsets because the devil is not going to let you get very far without throwing him in your face yet again. He's going to try to convince you that nothing happened, that you might, you're just better off like it used to be. That's one of the tricks of the enemy. We see it in Exodus, and we see it all the way throughout the Bible, and we see it in our own lives. That when you give your life to Jesus, the moment God does anything for you, the devil wants to swoop right in and say to you, nothing happened. You're the same as you used to be. You still got problems. Uh, you, you might as well just go back to living your old life. If you try to live as a slave when you are really free, you will find yourself enslaved once again. And so Paul wrote to us, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You can be en route to heaven but still be plagued with selfish habits, secret addictions, and sinful attitudes. So the third thing is that deliverance is about dealing with the influence of sin. We read this in Romans 7, 24 and 25. Dealing with the influence of sin. I love what Romans 7 and 15 says. He said, I don't even understand my own actions. I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. It's the influence of sin trying to control us. Deliverance deals with the influence of sin. So there's three key areas of our life that need deliverance. First off, it's victory over sin. 
Drinking the cup of deliverance is about gaining victory over the sin in your life. It's about the choices that you make. It's about the decisions that you make. Sin is about things that you choose to do or not to do. It's our habits. It's our addictions. It's our attitudes. So what are the things in your life that have control over you? We talk about addictions. What are the things in your life that have control over you? They're not just the big ones, drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling. But Because it's easy to be arrogant or judgmental about someone else's addictions, but to make exceptions for our own. Or even to be completely blind to them. An addiction is anything that we don't want to do, but can't stop doing. So we make up cute names to laugh it off like it's not a big deal. I'm a workaholic. I'm a shopaholic. I'm a sports freak. We make up names for it like it's not a big deal. But it's controlling us. You can recognize your addictions, and I want you to think about this. You can recognize your addictions by the way you protect them. Like if someone brings it up to you, do you become defensive and angry and they become the enemy? Someone says to you, uh, you, you work too much, and you become defensive and angry. You might ask yourself, is that because I'm protecting an addiction? Well, you're on the phone way too much. You never spend time with your kids. And if, and if you feel yourself getting defensive and that person becoming the enemy, you might ask yourself, God, do I have an addiction of some kind here? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You see, here is the, the truth. Something may control you that doesn't control another person. There might be things in your life that you need to stop doing, not because they're sin for everyone, but because when they start controlling you, they become an addiction, and now it is a sin for you. Sure, you can do it, but that doesn't mean that it is good for you. Is it controlling you? What is fine for some may not be okay for you. The second thing that we need... uh, Deliverance in is healing from wounds. Our sin is about what we choose to do. Our wounds are are about what someone does to us. It's about the things that have been done to us. It's about uh, it's about uh, the wounds in our life lead to anger. They lead to bitterness. They lead to unforgiveness. That give control to the devil, and the pain of our past can limit our future. But if we're honest to our with ourselves. It is often easier to cling to uh, our bitterness and our anger than to let it go. Because forgiveness is very difficult. We need healing from our wounds. Uh, And number three is authority over the enemy. We talked a little bit last week about how the devil has schemes for us. Ephesians chapter 6, he said, he put on the whole armor of God because he is scheming to get you. He is planning to get you. But you have power over the enemy. You have authority. He wants to control your mind, but you don't have to allow him to control your mind. You have authority. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. A lot of scriptures on this subject. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and look and over all the power of the enemy. 
He didn't give you some power over the enemy. He gave you all power over, oh, power over all the enemy and, and, and everything that he does. You have, you have more power than him. You have more authority than the devil in your life. And we got to know that about ourselves. we got to know that. And so when we drink the cup of deliverance, it is about learning and understanding that God has given you authority over all the power of the enemy. When the enemy comes in and says, yeah, you, you did pretty good there, but this area, this part of your life, this thing, I, I, you can't stop that. No, you can. You can because you, you, you can't defeat me in this area. You can. You have authority over all the power of the enemy. So we need um, uh, help with our, uh, our, our sin, our addictions, our habits. We need victory over sin. We need healing from our wounds. We need authority uh, over the enemy. Now, how do we drink from the cup of deliverance? How do we drink from the cup of deliverance? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Interesting scripture here. Uh, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Note right here. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill, uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. I want you to back up one, one slide there. Continue to work out your salvation. There's something interesting here. He's talking about drinking the cup of deliverance. Okay, I have salvation. I have been freed from slavery. But now I'm trying to work out what it means to be free and how that looks in my life. And it's a process. So, a couple of ways that we do that. Um, And we have to be involved in this process. Uh, And and number one is simply that we have to put God in control. We have to put God in control. Remember that God... uh, wants to be Lord of your life. But while you're here on earth, you have to put him in that position. He will not take it. Now eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But while you're living your life on earth, you have to make him Lord. You have to put him in control of your life. He won't just take control of your life. Jesus won't take the wheel until you say, Jesus, take the wheel. You can sing it if you want to, but you have to put him there. But here's the truth. Most people don't want changed hearts or changed lives. We just want changed circumstances. I'm going to say that one again. Most people do not want changed hearts or changed lives. We just want changed circumstances. We don't want to stop overeating. We just want to be skinny. We don't want to stop overspending. We just want to be rich and debt free. We don't want more responsibility or to work harder or or to to learn more. We just want to be paid more. We don't want to stop lusting. We just want a better marriage. We we don't want uh, changed hearts and we don't want changed lives. We just want changed circumstances. And while God wants to change your circumstances, He's in the business of healing hearts and changing hearts. Amen. 
if we change our heart, our circumstances will change. If we change our life, our circumstances will change. But if we change our circumstances, our heart won't change and we'll find ourselves right back in the same problem. Consider uh, uh, the, the, the people that win the laundry. Uh, not the laundry. They don't win the laundry. They might as well win, win the laundry. They win the lottery and an hour and a half later they're broke again. Because they didn't change their life and change their heart. They just changed their circumstances. If you only change your circumstances, you'll end up right back where you were. Um, You see, there's a bigger problem here, and, and it's the problem of idolatry. Anything that you allow to sit on the throne of your heart other than God becomes an idol. It's not about worshiping a little stone guy sitting on your mantle. It's, that's, not, that's not all that idolatry is about. Idolatry is putting anyone in the first place in your life that is not God. We have to make Jesus Lord daily. It's an issue of who's in control of our life. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 uh, in the New Living Translation says this, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So whoever's in the Lord of your life, whoever's in control, starts with what you think. So two things about that. Number one, what do you spend your time thinking about? And, it, and if it's, uh, go, go back one, uh, one verse. If you are thinking about sinful things, then sin is probably in control of your life. This, this is just a measuring stick. Or am I thinking about things that please the Spirit? If you go all day and never thought about something that pleased the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is who he's referring to here. If, you're talking, if you go all day and don't think about something that is pleasing to God, then that day you probably did not make God the Lord of your life. He's not in control. Because it starts with our thinking. Uh, go on to the, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, here's the problem, it leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Who's in control of your mind determines who's in control of your life. Are there idols in your life that you would never have, have declared them to be idols, but when you stop and you consider what have I been thinking about? What is controlling my thoughts in my mind? Am I spending more time thinking about them and never thinking about things that were pleasing to the Spirit? You might have idols in your life. Make God the Lord of your life. Number two. The second way that, that we drink the cup of deliverance is we get water baptized. Remember I told you how the, the Israelites came to the Red Sea and they, they didn't know whether to go back or to move forward. They didn't know what to do. They were stuck. And God said, I want to deliver you from the mindset of slavery where you're no longer slaves. You never, no longer think like slaves. And he parted the Red Sea. And the Bible teaches us that them walking through the Red Sea was a type of our water baptism. Uh, and when they went through it, it buried their old slave mindsets uh, so that they could then, then live in the freedom and the deliverance that God had promised them. And the same thing happens in our life. You, if you have been saved uh, and 
And maybe you've been water baptized before, but you fell back into sin for one reason or another. doesn't matter why. You may need to be water baptized again. And it's the idea of I'm saved, which happens instantaneously, but I'm burying my old man, my old addictions, my old habits, my old mindsets, and I'm burying them in a watery grave. And when I come up, I am no longer a, a, a free person that's acting like a slave, but I'm a free person acting like I'm free. And so you might need to sign up. You can sign up at the connection desk if you'd like to be water baptized. Uh, We'll be doing that here very soon. Uh, So number two is you get water baptized. Number three is you join a life team. When we talk about drinking the cup of salvation, one of the primary ways that we do that here at Triumph is our Sunday morning services. They're about introducing people to Jesus. Uh, when we drink the, the third cup, the cup of uh, restoration, the cup of redemption, that, that's about growth track. It's a process of growing and being restored. It's an intentional growth track. That's why we talked about that one last week. This week, I, I chose to talk about cup number two uh, because today we're kicking off our life team signups. And, and this is all about helping us get delivered, helping us to learn to live free the way God called us to live. So, so we join a life team. I want to mess with your theology for just a minute. Can I do that? I'm going I'm to mess you up just a little bit. Um, well, first thing is that, that life change happens in, in relationships, but uh, consider this. Confession is a necessary part of deliverance. Now, some of you say, well, you know, I, I used to be Catholic and we used to have to go to confession, but I don't do that anymore because that's not right. Well, you know, the Catholics have something figured out that I think that we miss. Let me show you two in Scripture because I don't want to just mess up your theology for no reason. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. Did I give you the wrong verse? I'm sorry. Uh, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So, well, we just got to confess to God. Well, that's true. In 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It it is true that when we confess our sins to God, he forgives them. But James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore... Confess your sins to who? One another another and pray for one another. So don't don't confess your sins and then everybody stand around in a circle and beat you up over them. All right, that's not the point. Confess your sins and pray together that you may be healed. I want you to consider something. Confessing our sins to God is part of the process of, of We confess our sins and we confess Him to be Lord and He saves us. But confessing our sins to one another is a part of the process of deliverance. It's a part of drinking the cup of deliverance. We we receive salvation by confessing our sins to God, but we receive healing and deliverance by confessing our sins to another. Now, you don't have to stand up. I'm not, listen, we're not going to stand up here with a microphone and invite you to come through one at a time. Now, tell us your sins today. Jesus' name you're healed. That's not the point. But the idea is that you need relationships in your life that you can uh, confess your sins to, that you can walk through those problems with them. Confess your sins to one another and pray and you will be healed. 
You say, but Pastor Ryan and I have been trying to get delivered from this sin, from this addiction. Do you have someone in your life that you're close enough to that you can confess that sin, that struggle, that problem, then pray for you and you be healed? That's not all that life teams are about, but that is a piece of it. You need people in your life that can help you with your stuff. You need people in your life that can walk through whatever you're going through. And that's part of what life teams are about. Maybe this time you're not dealing with anything with any problems. Well, you might need to be the person to help heal someone else. Or maybe you're saying, Pastor Ryan, I'm really struggling. I'm going through a difficult time. Life teams is an opportunity to connect. And together we drink the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance is not one that we drink alone. It's one that we drink in relationships. Life change happens in relationships. I'm going to read you this one scripture, and and then I'm going to move um, back to the Passover really quickly. Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I'm sorry, uh, team, I'm backing up on you a little bit. Uh, Let us hold together tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Watch. Let us... Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Have you spent any time thinking about how to motivate the people in your life to acts of love and and good works? That's what the Bible says. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially that now that the day of his return is drawing near encourage one another don't neglect meeting together how did they do this in the new testament the primary way that they did this was through small groups or life teams no they didn't call them life teams but they went house to house and they connected with people and they drank the cup of deliverance together Join a life team. You can sign up today. We've got 40 teams. You can, uh, the, all the sign-ups are in the, in the foyer. We start next Sunday. It's going to be a great time. You can sign up next Sunday as well, uh, or you can find out more information online. But I really encourage you, get involved in life teams. Drink the cup of deliverance with us. Now, uh, I want to go back to uh, the Passover. Uh, uh, Pastor Chris, if, if you could help me. When we drink, the drinking of the second cup is... Uh, is the fifth part. Remember, there's 14 parts to eating the Passover meal. The fifth part of it is this second cup, the cup of deliverance. Uh, but there's, there are five pieces to this uh, portion of the Passover meal. It's, it's one of the most important pieces. The first thing that they do is called the four questions. And they take the youngest child in the room or, or one of the youngest child's children in the room, and they can either ask or, sw- or sing four questions. The questions are entitled, why is it different? Meaning, on all other nights, we eat one way, we eat one type of thing, but on this night, we do things very differently. Why is it different? And the answer is, because it used to be one way, but now our lives are totally different. We used to be in slavery, but now we walk in freedom and deliverance. So, the first question that they ask And again, they can ask it or they can sing it. The first question is, why is it that on all other nights during the year, we eat bread or or matzah, which is the unleavened bread, but on this night, we only eat the unleavened bread? And the answer is that because when we left Egypt, there was no time to bake the bread. So they took raw dough and they baked it in the sun into crackers that they could take with them. 
The truth is, is this. When God calls you and says it's time to get out of slavery, don't hesitate. Don't wait around and say, well, I've got to get things settled here first. When God offers you to be saved and delivered, take it today. Don't lay around in your sin and, and say, well, I'm just going to keep doing this a little while longer, but, but leave now. Don't wait until the next time around to join a life team, but join today. The second question, why is it that on all other nights we eat all kinds of herbs, but on this night we only eat the bitter herbs? Because it reminds us of the bitter and the cruel way that Pharaoh treated the Hebrews. Slavery to sin is not fun. The life that the devil promises you may seem glamorous at first, but it ends in death and heartache. What started out good with Joseph ended up in slavery with Moses. God had to deliver his people. The third question, why is it that on all other nights we do not dip our herbs even once, but on this night we dip twice? He's referring to they take the bitter herbs, typically a parsley of some kind, and they dip it into salt water. They say, why do we do that? We never dip our herbs into salt water. Because again... The bitterness of slavery was so strong, it brought us to tears, and our tears reached up to heaven. And when they would dip the herbs, the bitter herbs, into the salt water, they would run off, and it looks like tears. It reminded them that we never want to go back to that place again. You know, it's easy to forget how bad addictions and sin used to be. When we live for Jesus for a long time, we can become calloused to the slavery that other people are in. We can come, become callous to the pain that they're going through. It seems so simple for us who've been free for a long time, but we've got to remember where we were and have compassion and love people and help them drink the cup of deliverance as well. Number four, why is it uh, that on all of the nights, all other nights we eat sitting or reclining but on this night, we eat in a reclining position. So they would literally lay down and eat the meal, leaning on a pillow. And they leaned on their pillows to remind them that they are now free and no longer lives as, as slaves. But they are free to relax into the joy of the Lord, to relax in the presence of God. The Bible says that times of refreshing come from the presence of God. After they've gone through these four questions, the next part is uh, called, We Were Slaves. And they recount the story of what slavery was like. They read some scriptures and they, and they make this statement that we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord our God brought us out from there. And then, and, and then they are instructed to make Passover their own. They're instructed as the, as the leader, whoever's leading the, the Passover meal, and even individually, to talk about what it was like in your personal slavery and how God brought you out. Because salvation and deliverance are a personal thing. God can't save you based off your mama's prayer. You've got to make Jesus Lord yourself. Right. And then they talk about four sons. And I want you to consider this. Four sons. Now, they're specifically talking about four Hebrew sons. But remember there was an understanding that all Hebrews 
uh, lived for God, worshipped God. So as we fast forward this and we, we consider what it means for Christians, we're talking specifically about people who call themselves or think they are Christians or, or want to believe they're Christians, want to believe they're saved. That's who we're talking about here. The first is the wise son. The, the wise son wants to know more. The wise son wants to know about the Passover. The wise son wants to know about what God has done, about how God brought him out and how God delivered them and how God promises to redeem them and promises to fulfill them and make him his own. The wise son wants to grow. The wise son wants to know more about God. The wise son wants to show up on Sundays and and get into the presence of God. The wise son says, yes, I'll fast and I'll pray because I want to be closer to God. That's the wise son. The wise son says, I want to get involved in my church. I want to get involved in a life team. I want to get involved. I want to be a tither. I I want to be a prayer person. I want to get on the praise team. I want to get involved somewhere. The wise son says, I want to grow in my walk with God. It's the wise son. The second son is the wicked son. And none of us want to think of ourselves as being wicked. But the wicked son wants no part of the Passover. Not that he doesn't believe in God. He just doesn't want any part of the Passover. And he wants others to live up to a standard that he is unwilling to live by himself. Here's what he says. You do the Passover meal. You drink the cups. I'm not messing with all that. I've got my own thing going on over, over here. I, I want the, the, the wicked son says, I want to receive the rewards of, of God being my God, but I don't want to... I don't want to do any of the work. Christianity today, what does that look like? The the wicked son in the the Hebrew culture was called the hypocrite. Christianity. We judge other people, but we don't look at the sin in our own life. We judge, as Jesus said, the speck in one person's eye while ignoring the plank in our own eye. The wicked person expects someone else to live by a standard while we refuse to. The the wicked son expects everyone else to get involved in the service and and to help and to serve in the children's ministry or to be an usher or to pay their tithes, but I'm not doing any of that. I just want to receive the benefits without being a part of the process. Third son, the simple son. The simple son is not evil. He's not wicked. He's just confused by the traditions and the religion. He's not necessarily against them. He just doesn't understand them. They're just confusing. I don't know why we lift our hands in church. And I don't know why we sing. And I don't know why the preacher preaches so long. And I don't know why we're supposed to pay our tithes. And I don't know why I should serve. And I don't know why I should be in a lifetime team. It's not really evil. He's just confused. They don't know why it matters or why he needs to grow. Aren't I just good where I am? I mean, Jesus saved me. Can't I just stop right there? Simple son. And then the last son is the son who doesn't even know enough to ask. He has no relationship with God, and he doesn't even know. He doesn't even realize it. You know Christians like this. These are your, these are your Easter and Christmas Christians. Come to church two times a year. They live in their mess and their sin and their, and their stuff, and they call them issues, but really it's sin. But they're so far out there, they don't even know that they, they don't even realize they don't have a relationship with God and that they even need one. They're busy living life without any concern at all. 
every person who says they love God, calls themselves a Christian in any way, finds themselves in one of these four categories. Which one are you? Which one are you? The last thing they do is they remind themselves of the three main elements of the Passover meal, which is a sacrificial lamb, the unleavened, bre- unleavened bread, uh, and, 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 the, and the wine. And they remind themselves of these things, and they drink the second cup. You should have received the Passover uh, meal, the communion elements, when you came in today. Uh, if you did not, if you would slip your hand up really quickly, I, I want to um, bring, our ushers want to bring you some. But I want to I take this Passover meal together with you. If you'd stand with me, if you do not have the elements, please zip up your hand. But if you do, stand and we're going to take this meal together. And then we're going to worship and our host is going to come and open the altars at the conclusion of the service. If you're struggling with an addiction to sin in any way, if you're just struggling with the influences of sin, healing from wounds, you need to know that you have authority over the enemy. We want to pray with you today. We'll do that at the end of the service. So Father, we, we lift this bread just as your son Jesus did. We're reminded of the price that Jesus paid, the stripes he took on his back. But we're also reminded that when you give us an opportunity to be set free and delivered, we need to take it right then. So Lord, we remember, we remember the price that your son Jesus paid. Break it and eat it now in remembrance of him. today, Lord, specifically, we lift the second cup, the cup of deliverance. We don't have to stay in slavery to our sin, but it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We have the power to overcome. We have the power to be set free. Lord, if we're wicked sons or simple sons or the sons who don't even know enough to ask, Lord, bring us back into being the wise son that drinks the cup of deliverance and understanding what it's all about, what you want to do for us. I thank you for it. We drink it now in remembrance of you.